Today just happens to be Rita Sewell's birthday. And uh, I know she was out of town yesterday. I'm not sure if she's back yet or not. If she is, make sure that you wish her a happy birthday. If you're new to Dover, uh, Rita has been a longtime ministry assistant here in our church. I often refer to her as Dover's mom. Uh, she may be the most loving person you'll ever meet. And uh, if she has your phone number, you've probably received a text from her telling you she was praying for you at one time or another. And she really is genuine and that amazing. So happy birthday to Rita. My grandpa Johnson once told me about a preacher who was preaching a hellfire and brimstone sermon. I mean, he was really throwing it down. He was pounding his fist on the, on the podium. He was taking the Bible and waving it in the air. His face was red. He was letting the congregation have it with both barrels loaded. And after the service, he was out in the lobby shaking hands and greeting folks, and a sweet little old lady came up to him and said to him, Preacher, I'm not sure what it is you want us to do. Would it be all right if I just baked a cake? <laughs> two lessons from that short story. One, preachers like cake. And two, the gospel message doesn't have to be complex for it to be direct. People should know what it is that we want them to do. Today we're beginning just a real simple series of messages on how to share your faith in a way that is contagious. If our end result really is to go and to make disciples of all people and to bring them into being fully devoted followers of Christ, to grow up in the knowledge of His Word, filled with the Holy Spirit, and pleasing God in every way, and to continue to obey all that He has commanded Him, as the Great Commission tells us to do, then the end result should be that we make more disciples. Not just that we wave a Bible in the air and that we yell at people and that our faces get red. I mean, if we really love people the way Jesus loved them, the type of love that caused him to leave the perfection of heaven and come to the reality of earth and to experience firsthand everything that you and I experienced. He hungered, he thirsted, he was tempted in every way as we are yet without sin. He was betrayed by his closest friends. He was lied to by, uh, by his, about by his enemies. And he died the worst possible death Known to man at his time, death by crucifixion. Publicly humiliating right in front of everyone. He knows. The book of Romans says that God demonstrates his own love for us in this. That while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. You can count on this. You are loved. You are loved by who it matters the most, God, your Father in heaven, your Creator. He loves you. The person sitting beside you or across the aisle from you, in front of you, behind you, is loved by Almighty God in a very personal way. He knows your name. He knows the number of hairs on your head. He knew you before you were born. He knows when you wake up in the morning. He knows when you leave home and when you get back in the evening. Psalm 139 says there's nowhere so far away, so high, so low, so dark, that God does not constantly monitor our every thought and movement. He knows your words before you speak them. David says he puts his hand behind me and before me. He has hemmed me in. Such knowledge is too great for me, too wonderful for me. We have a very personal God who loves every one of us. And if God loves us that much, then how should we feel about one another? In the New Testament, there are the so-called one another passages, love one another, you know, passages. 
And that's how we're to treat brothers and sisters in Christ. But we're also supposed to see the world through the eyes of Jesus. Remember when he wept over Jerusalem? And he said, how I, how I desperately wanted to, how I longed to gather you the way a mother gathers her hens, or how a mother hen gathers her chicks. He loves every person with whom you lock eyes with. You'll never meet anyone that does not matter immensely to God for whom Jesus did not come and intentionally die for. Not to spill his blood, but to pour his blood out willingly. If people matter that much to him, they ought to matter to us. In today's style or approach that we're going to look at is the direct method. Now, Peter is the perfect Bible example uh, for that because he was the one who was rather impulsive, outspoken, uh, the, the first to offer an answer perhaps, the first to act. Now here's the direct truth about the gospel. When it comes to telling others about Jesus, God made us and loves us and wants us to spend eternity with him. I mean, that's pretty easy, right? And, and God is holy and perfect and just. And because he's holy and perfect and just, he cannot just overlook sin. If he did, he would not be holy and perfect and just. But the Bible says that all of us have missed the mark. We have fallen short of God's perfect standard. I have yet to meet anyone with whom I've shared the gospel with that will interrupt me and say, oh, excuse me, I'm perfect. I've never sinned and I've never had an impure thought or, or even, even disliked anyone. I'm a perfect person. Most of us, all of us, I would think, know that we fall short of the glory of God. That's a given. And Romans 6, 23, that we'll look at here in just a moment, tells us that the wages of sin is death. Wage is something that you've earned, something you deserve. What we've earned, what we've deserved because of our sin is death, meaning separation from God for eternity. Not just the physical death where our body dies and our spirit leaves the body, but, but a, a second death, a more significant one, a, a separation of the soul from God for eternity. That's what we've earned. That's what we've deserved. Oh my, but what a special word in Romans 6.23. You can circle this three-letter word, B-U-T. But, <laughs> the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus, our Lord. I said Jesus left the perfection of heaven and came to earth to live among us. That's why Christmas is so special. Oh, it's a man-made holiday. In fact, the date we've picked is not necessarily the exact date that Jesus was born. But I love Christmas. I love the bright lights. I love all the decorations. I really love the food. <laughs> I love the get-togethers. I love family. I love all of it. And, and, and birthdays are, in, are very special. They are. Last week I wasn't here because we were in Tennessee celebrating my mother-in-law's 80th birthday. And by the way, Miss Rita is in here now. Happy birthday, Rita. Today is her birthday. And the greatest birthday of all time for all of us is the birth of Jesus here on the earth. And that's why we celebrate this. I couldn't die for your sins and you couldn't die for my sins because we share the same spiritual bankruptcy. If I died for your sins, it'd be a nice gesture, but at the end of the day, you'd still be lost because I'm not perfect. And it took the perfect lamb of God, Jesus, to enter the picture, to come to earth, live among us, and die in our place on the cross. 
but as with all gifts, it must be accepted. God gave us the, the freedom to choose whether or not we reject Jesus or we accept him. Now, this is pass or fail. <laughs> there's no in-between. There's no, somebody said to be, uh, to be 99% saved is to be 100% lost. <laughs> I mean, you've either accepted him and been born again into him or y- you haven't. Now, if we accept him, then the price that he paid on the cross for our sins, then we, we get to redeem that gift. We get in on it. And that redemption allows us to stand before God justified someday as if we had never sinned. Oh, I love that. <laughs> Somebody asks me, Sean, do you know if you died today whether or not you would go to heaven? I say, yep. Now, that may sound brass. It may sound like I'm, you know, proud. Oh, no, 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 no. It's just the opposite. I'm humble enough to say yes <laughs> because it's not based on my good deeds or my bad deeds. It's based on what Jesus did on Calvary's cross. My faith is not in my goodness. My faith is in Jesus and his perfection and his blood, that all-sufficient substitutionary death for me. Oh, yeah, I have blessed assurance that I'm going to be in heaven someday because of Jesus. I'm confident in him. That's the gospel message. Jesus said, I'm the way. We sang about it today. I'm the way. I am the truth and the life. He is the truth. He is the truth, the gospel um, that sets us free. There are only 28 chapters in the book of Acts. And over the next several weeks, we'll be looking at the biblical pattern by which the first century Christians accepted the gift of Jesus. And I would encourage you, this this six-week series that we're doing in the remaining five weeks, I would encourage you that you reread, go through the book of Acts, read those 28 chapters. It's exciting. I mean, it's a, it's a thrill book. It's a, it's, it, there's amazing miracles in there. There's church history. It tells how the church got started. It tells about how the Holy Spirit came on the apostles and gave them the foundational gifts of the Holy Spirit. It talks about how we all can have the indwelling gift of God's Holy Spirit. It's an amazing book. But I would encourage you to read it anew and that you would keep a, a chart, a list. List off each person who became a follower of Jesus, somebody who got saved, they got born again, and then list how did they unwrap the gift, so to speak. What did they do? What did they, what did they say uh, when, at the time they accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior? All right, so today uh, we have Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2 uh, to look at. Just two, two main points here today. First of all, we all need a Savior. <laughs> we all need a Savior. All of us have fallen short of the glory of God. We all need a Savior. Okay, we're all in the same sin boat. In Acts chapter 2, verses 22 through 24, the apostle uh, Peter, he's preaching to the people. And he says, men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. This Jesus, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death. Because it was not possible for him to be held by it. (laughs) A couple powerful things about our need for a Savior. One is that Jesus can save you from your sins. 
If you don't think you can be saved, it's not you that you're thinking about. You're basically saying God's son is insufficient. Oh, if you only knew what I did. If you only knew my past. If you only knew my struggles, you'd know why I have doubt. No, 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 no. I I don't care about what you've done. I care about what he's done. And if your faith is in him, his amazing grace, then you know that Jesus can save you from your sins. Jesus was proven to be who he said he was when he came back from the dead. He appeared to a whole bunch of people over a 50-day period proving that he was the resurrected Jesus. He would show them the holes in his hands, the wound in his side. He would call them by name. He would somehow, though I don't fully understand it, disguise them from recognizing his identity until he was ready for them. And then he would like say their name and they'd go, my Lord and my God. And they would recognize Jesus. I think my favorite one is the the one the fishing story where he appears to them the the second miraculous catch of fish in the morning. They're like, "It's Jesus! It's the it's the Messiah! It's the Savior!" And they they're so excited to see him. Jesus fulfilled all the prophecies about him in the Old Testament. There's not one single contradiction. It's important to start with where people are and show them their personal connection to needing Jesus. When you share your faith with someone, understand you are the best person to do it because God has chosen you to to go and to share your faith with others. You don't have to have a seminary degree. You don't have to know a 10-step process. In fact, people see right through that as, as a phony sales pitch. What you need to know is that God loves them, that they are sinners, that sin separates us from God, but that God sent Jesus to die in their place, and he is perfect, and if they accept him as their Lord and Savior, then he pays the penalty for their sins, and they'll stand before God as if they had never sinned. That's not that complicated. We have to work at making the gospel message complicated. The Jewish people were well aware of Jesus. The hearers of Peter's message, they knew all about him. In fact, he says, you know, he says, they're well aware in your midst. He says, he talks about the signs and the miraculous, powerful things that Jesus had done and how he was attested to be the Son of God over and over and over again. In other words, you are without excuse. You nailed the Son of God to a tree. Wow. That's not sugarcoating especially to these first century uh, people. I mean, they were cut to the heart by this. They knew about Jesus, especially this soon after the crucifixion, an undeniable yet mysterious resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Skeptics claim that he had uh, maybe just only swooned on the cross, kind of fainted, if you will, and woke up in the tomb. Skeptics claim that His body had been stolen by his followers, that they bribed and paid. That was one of the rumors that was spread around. Say that you were paid to to look the other way. Uh, Even though a professional guard was stationed over this tomb with a large stone rolled over it because they knew about the talk of resurrection. And they said, last thing we need is for this body to come up missing. And everybody starts saying that he's, he's risen from the dead and then, then the people will be unstoppable. These are professional soldiers and guards, governing officials that are in charge of making sure this doesn't happen and yet it happened. Some people think that it wasn't Jesus that had risen from the dead but an imposter, a lookalike. 
Not many people walking around with holes in their hands <laughs> and wounds in their sides, though. There was no question that his grave was empty. There was no question that numerous eyewitnesses had seen him and talked with him before and after the resurrection and even eaten meals with him. A preacher I greatly respect one time pointed out that we'll get to eat in heaven. <laughs> oh, and there's a lot of references to banquets and feasts and so forth, but, but Jesus in his resurrected body, he ate here on the earth. Skeptics who had been unsure of Jesus before the resurrection were now convinced and willing to die for their faith in him. Not very many people are willing to die for a lie. Thomas was so defeated. I say this for the new people here because I say it all the time. People have heard me. I don't like to call him Doubting Thomas. I like to call him Objective Thomas because <laughs> his faith was based on something. Actually, I guess Thomas didn't have to have faith like you and I do because he saw it. Our faith is based on what he saw. He says, I'll not believe it. I'll not believe it unless I put my finger in the holes in his hands and my hand in the wound in his side. Jesus said, Thomas. Thomas is the one that said, my Lord and my God. And he died a martyr's death. Not many people will die for a lie. Jesus' own half-brother, some religious leaders like Nicodemus, and influential people like Joseph of Arimathea, who was supposedly very wealthy and had provided a, a tomb for Jesus to borrow <laughs> for three days. There's reason for us to believe Jesus can save us from our sins. Because if you can come back from the dead, you can do anything else. Acts 2.21 says, And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. That means your, your neighbor, your co-worker, your family member, your friend, your son or daughter. If you married later in life and, and you have an unbelieving spouse, uh, if you came to Christ later in life and you have an unbelieving spouse, they can be saved. Everyone can be saved. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. God is not willing that any should perish, but that all come to repentance. Acts 4.12 says, There is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. It's exclusively found in Jesus. That's why this is so important. This is not very popular, but it's very important that people know that there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved, Acts 4.12. In Matthew 6, verses 13 through 18, we see Peter give us that beautiful uh, confession of faith, as we like to call it, statement of faith. In fact, in most Christian churches, certainly true here at Dover, if you come to place membership in our church family and you're already a, a, a baptized, you've already been immersed into Christ, we have you repeat this confession of faith. Just because we want people to know that the, the, the family of God or people who have believed this about Jesus, and we repeat what Peter said, oh, I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and, not, and he is my Lord and my Savior. 
before a person is baptized, we'll often have them state out loud what they believe about Jesus by repeating after us, I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and I accept him as my Lord and as my personal Savior because there's not enough water in the world to wash away sin. We're saved by the blood of Christ. And faith and repentance are prerequisites for baptism to have meaning and purpose. Oh, it's such a beautiful thing when a person is truly repentant and believes that Jesus is the only way unto salvation and believes that he is who he said he is, that he is the Son of God. And when they say that, and a guy like me has the privilege of burying them in the water and raising them back up, it is a beautiful picture of Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. And we're told that the greatest gift that you're going to get in addition to your salvation, better than even the Bible or book that your church will give you or the certificate that you can hang on your wall, is the gift of God's indwelling Holy Spirit. Oh, he gives you wonderful gifts that you can perform, that you can be productive in the, in the kingdom of God. It's awesome to see people start using their gifts, all kinds of, I mean, people have such amazing gifts of photography and gifts of, of hospitality and you, you name it, and gifts of administration, gifts of leadership, gifts of teaching, gifts of, of evangelism. People have all these different kinds of gifts, and when they come together collectively with one Holy Spirit, it's amazing. He's the sign and the seal of our salvation. And the Bible says that God longs for the, his Holy Spirit that he puts in us. You probably have known little kids. Maybe you've been one where you, you, get, you, you rub your fingers together or something and you say, now we're blood brothers. <laughs> God puts his Holy Spirit in us. And he longs for his Holy Spirit. It's a beautiful thing. Okay. Matthew 16, 13 through 18. Here's, here's that story. It says, when, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that uh, the Son of Man is? And they said, well, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. And he said to them, but you, who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. <laughs> you got it right, Peter. Simon was given the name Petros, which means rock, <laughs> by Jesus. I always think, you know, what it'd be like to have a football coach and, you know, call a team, a kid on his team, you know, Rocky, you know, call me Rocky. <laughs> Jesus says, you're a rock. And on this foundation, I will build my church. What foundation? The fact that he is the son of the living God, that he is the Christ, which means he's the promised Messiah that everybody had been watching for. And this audience knew that they'd been watching for a Messiah, and they're hearing this about him. We all need saving. Peter pulled no punches when he said, You killed and crucified by the hands of lawless men. Oh, they didn't do the dirty work, right? These Jewish leaders didn't. They weren't the ones. These Jewish families uh, that are hearing this message in Acts 2 from Peter as he's giving them this direct message. He says, you crucified. You nailed him. You killed the Son of God by the hands of lawless men. Oh, they let these Roman soldiers do their dirty work for them. But they were guilty. I wasn't there 2,000 years ago. 
but my sins put Jesus on the cross. Every impure thought, every carelessly spoken word, every time I've wanted someone else's stuff or life, every bitter grudge I've held, every time I've shouted God's name in vain, all of it, all of it was on Jesus on the cross. God the Father looked away from Jesus because God, who is holy and perfect and just, cannot just overlook sin. Romans 3.21 through 26 says, But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in His divine forbearance He had passed over former sins. It was to show His righteousness at the present time so that He might be justified and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Romans 5, verses 6 through 11 says, While we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if we, while we were enemies... We're reconciled to God by the death of His Son. Much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by His life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. I love reconciliation. (laughs) What a beautiful word. Things weren't right, now they are. (laughs) Things were awkward, now they're not. There was strife, now there's peace. We were at odds with God. We opposed Him, but now things are right. That's what Jesus does. It's a beautiful thing. Romans 6, verses 20 through 23 says, For when we were slaves of sin, we were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit, uh, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. And that verse I shared earlier, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. One final thought from Acts chapter 2. If we skip on down there to verses uh, 36 through 41. We find we all have a choice to make. My evangelism professor in seminary who recently spoke here at this church has in his book the top priority that one of the biggest mistakes that we make when sharing our faith is we don't ask people to do anything about it. Salesmen would call it crossing the line you know, or, or closing the deal. We don't ask people to close the deal. We just tell them, but we don't say those difficult words of asking them to do something, those persuasive words of doing something about it. 
Acts 2, 36 through 41 says, Let the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart, and they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off. <laughs> well, I bet that stung the ears a little bit to these Jewish godly people. Everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself, and with many other words he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Now, I've been told that that number typically only counts like the head of the household, so to speak. So there, there were an average of two people per household who came to Christ that day. That's like 6,000, maybe 10,000. But let's just go with this exact number of 3,000. What a great day. Can you imagine this? Peter preaches this powerful message and 3,000 souls receive the word and they go home. No, no. It says they received the word and they were baptized. <laughs> That's more than just one preacher in a white robe and waiters, <laughs> you know, in a church baptistry. I mean, I'm picturing people just right and left baptizing each other. And it's a, a beautiful thing. And the water probably looks like it's boiling as, as people are being baptized right and left. And, 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 and it's based on their faith in Jesus. When you share the gospel with people and you tell them the good news, ask for a specific response to faith. You ask when you tell them about Jesus, is this what you believe? Do you believe that you're a sinner? Do you believe that Jesus is God's son? Do you believe he's the only savior of man? Well, yes, I do. Well, then can you think of any reason why today isn't the day that you would want to confess your faith like Peter did? Say who you believe Jesus is. Repent and start living for him and have someone baptize you. And into him. Once a friend acknowledges that he or she is an imperfect sinner and in need of a savior, it's imperative they do something about it. I think there are so many people, they're not outright atheists and they don't see themselves as enemies of God. They've always kind of believed in the man upstairs. They know they're imperfect. They know they need a savior. They're pretty sure Jesus is him. They know a little bit of the Easter story, a little bit of the Christmas story, but they never do anything about it. Tell me that's not a tactic of Satan. Keep them at bay. And Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, they hear a message, but do they ever respond? We need to ask people for a specific response. The natural response to this decision is to express faith in what is called believer through what is called believer's baptism. Romans 6, 1 through, 7, uh, 1 through 11 talks about dying to sin and being buried with Christ and raised to new life in him. And it's good to be ready, just a practical note on your end, for those responses. I want you to know, I give you permission now, please, it's, a, it's, it's my most favorite thing I get to do. You can text me at 2 a.m. If you've been sharing the gospel with someone and they say they were ready to be baptized and they would like to do it, you can text me at 2 a.m. And I'll let Rita know and she'll come let you in. <laughs> no, no, that's... Uh, 
I'll be in my car, I'll be headed this way, or to wherever. Swimming pool, creek, pond, whatever. Any way that I can help. My favorite thing I get to do in ministry. My own baptism meant so much to me. I came to faith later in life. I was 18. It was March of my senior year in high school. I'd been contemplating uh, Christianity. A friend's dad had been sharing the gospel with me. My grandparents went to church about 40 minutes away. It's the only church I knew to go to. And, uh, and when I was ready, I, I showed up at church that day, told the preacher, walked the aisle, and at 18, I was baptized into Christ. Greatest decision I've ever, I've ever made. And it was several years after that before I could see a baptism where I just didn't get so choked up because my own expression of my belief in Christ's death, burial, and resurrection means so much to me. I had the privilege of baptizing both of my parents into Christ over the years. My mom, about nine years after I became a Christian. My dad, about 13 years after I became a Christian. My only sibling, about two and a half years after I became a Christian. I baptized my son. It is such a wonderful thing to lead someone to Christ and be a part of that. One time, and I close with this, in my first ministry, there was a lady by the name of Amy Frakes. She and her daughter, her daughter Carolyn, were coming to our church. Carolyn had some things she was dealing with and was looking for answers, and so her mom said, let's go to that little church down the street. And so they started coming. And... Uh, Amy was a delightful lady. She was probably in her mid to late 70s, I believe. And uh, I went to her house. She and her husband didn't attend church anywhere. He never did come, though he was always nice and pleasant whenever I would visit. But she decided she wanted to accept Christ. And I asked that question, like, can you think of any reason why today wouldn't be the day? And so she agreed. She wanted to be baptized. And so that following Sunday, she walked the aisle, and I had the privilege of baptizing this dear, sweet lady uh, in, into Christ. And, uh, but later that week, she was hospitalized. I believe it was stomach-related. I think she ended up having an aneurysm uh, in her stomach. But but I went to visit her at the hospital. I didn't think it was anything too serious. And uh, she was, when she saw me come in, she goes, oh, it's so good to see you. She said, I've been so excited ever since my baptism on Sunday. She says, when I came up out of that water, I just wanted to go, yes, like that. And she raised her hand like, yes, like that. And I'm like, oh, that's wonderful. We had a great visit. Like I said, it was a Sunday afternoon. We had an elders meeting that evening. I hurried back to the church. And her daughter came through the lobby there I could see her coming through as, as we were in our meeting and she goes Sean my mom just died like that no one thought that her mom was near I said I, I, Carolyn I just came from the hospital about two hours ago she was just fine she goes well she had an aneurysm I guess and it and it it must have ruptured but I thought to myself it's difficult to say well if you believe this can you think of any reason why you wouldn't want to do this today? And I thought, what if I hadn't asked that? <laughs> oh, God's God, and he's got grace, and he, can, he does all things well, and, and, and I'm glad I'm not in those shoes. And, and, but my job as a preacher, as a Christian, as a follower of Christ, as a disciple maker, it, it, is not to look for exceptions and loopholes. It, it's to do what God's word tells us to do. And I was glad I asked the direct question. And I was glad I got to baptize Amy Frakes. And I look forward to seeing her again someday. Not because of the water of baptism, but because of the blood of Jesus Christ and her confident reliance on him to forgive her of all of her sins. I'm going to pray. I've gone long again. You get me talking about, this is my favorite stuff to talk about. Um, 
Let's pray. If you have a decision on your heart for Christ, or maybe you just want us to join in praying for somebody that, with whom you plan to share the gospel, uh, we invite you to come this morning as, we, as all of us stand together and sing. Father God, thank you for your love. Thank you for your Holy Spirit. God, I thank you for, for the hope that we have through Jesus. Not a hope-so kind of hope, but a confident hope. God, I thank you, Lord, that you have called each one of us to be disciple-makers. We're so, so undeserving, and yet, God, we are, we are just, we're, we're just so purified by your blood, by your son's blood. And, God, I want to, I, I guess, just be able to celebrate that with as many people as I can as they make their own individual personal decisions, God, to accept or to reject you. But, God, for those who do accept you and your gift of Jesus, God, we praise you for that. And we ask you to do it again and again and again. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.